Uh, if you're visiting, uh, we've been studying the Lord's Prayer. We looked through the Psalms in the fall. We're going to look in the Psalms again in, in, the, in the summertime. And uh, so we went to the New Testament to look uh, uh, at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's found in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the disciples had, had observed Jesus praying. And he didn't pray like all the rabbis and the synagogue leaders. Are there are two things about the way that, that he prayed that was so different. One uh, was that he desired to pray. He wanted to pray. <laughs> and also that he, he, he spoke to God as a father. And, and so they said, would you teach us how to pray? We want to know the father uh, this way. And so after Jesus says, well, the first thing that you do in the Lord's prayer is you address him as father. If you're a Christian... God is your Father. That is the Christian name for God. There is no other religion where you're even allowed to say such a thing. And then he gives this wonderful form for, for prayer. Uh, there's six petitions. The first three are Godward. Uh, so so uh, it is uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. There are three petitions. That is the desire if you know Jesus Christ. And now we come to, to the other three petitions, of which more at a horizontal level, that God knows that we have needs. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see uh, today, give us this day our daily bread. Now, what I decided to do, if you'll notice, our text goes below that. And he talks about the hindrance that we have in this area of believing that God will provide for us. And what's interesting in verses, as you'll see, verses, verses 19 through 24, he goes back to that horizontal. The reason we don't trust him at the, at the I mean, the vertical is because we don't trust him at the horizontal because we don't trust him at the vertical. And then he gives us some real practical stuff about not being anxious. Are you anxious today? Oh, Christian, you're worried about your future. You're worried about your children. If you get to be old like me, you get a headache and you think, whoa, this might be the deal. I'm starting to get to that age. Let me tell you, if you're a believer, he loves you. And if you're not a believer, he doesn't hate you. Uh, and you can know him as a father as well. So um, uh, it's printed in your bulletin. And the reason we print it there, if you're a visitor, is that we believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And we don't have much to say if it's not the inerrant word of God. So read with me. Uh, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven whether, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Uh, the lamp of the body, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he, he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, do not, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed nor, uh, nor spin. I'm sorry, it was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. Uh, and Lord, uh, you are the true God, the God who's here, the God who knows every anxious soul that's here. There are those who are here that are, that are struggling with eating disorders. There are those who are here who have obsessive compulsive disorder. There are those who are here who are struggling with their sin of this weekend. There are those who are struggling with wayward children. Uh, there are those who are depressed today. There are those who are just not sure how they will face another week. But Lord, you know every man and woman and child is here. Whether it is the junior high kid, the middle school kid who's struggling with popularity, or the young lady whose boyfriend just broke up with her, or the mother that lost a child recently, or the man who realizes at 50 he hates his job or those who are older and they lost their money and their cushion in the stock market. Lord, who knows what we deal with? Well, you know. And so I pray that this would be a sermon that would both uh, cause us to look at our own sin of relying on ourselves only to find out what smoke it is. Uh, and for those... Um, who are truly struggling with faith in your goodness. It's impossible for them to understand if you do not speak, and it's impossible for them to understand if you do not open ears. And so we ask these things in your name. Amen. Uh, in July, the last week of July, I've been here 19 years. We started Redeemer uh, 19 years ago. And one of the questions that arose to me was, well, why would you go to Athens, Georgia? They got lots of churches uh, in Athens, Georgia. Well, the first thing I'd have to tell people is this, this is no ordinary city, and anybody that lives here knows this. Some people call it the Greenwich Village of the South. I like to say that. It makes me feel like I'm cool. <laughs> <clears throat> 
But you have everything, you have 100,000 people, and you have everything from uh, people who go to church and don't know why, the good old boy that goes to church, he's a Methodist or a Baptist or Presbyterian, he, knows, he no more knows Jesus Christ than the man in the moon. Because he hadn't heard the gospel. And then you have people on the far end, uh, if that's the zero, the 10 on the 10 side, you have people that hate God and know why they hate God, and maybe you're here today. Maybe somebody convinced you to come. Uh, and it is certainly uh, my desire that you would know Jesus Christ. I mean, 70% of the city is, uh, is unchurched. So as I started thinking about that, and I started thinking about the Lord's Prayer and how it's here in the Sermon on the Mount, I started realizing that's what I preached on when I first got here. And you should always have a reason for why you preach on what you preach on. And the reason I chose uh, the Sermon on the Mount is because the question was twofold. One, is there really a kingdom of God? Is there? Was Jesus Christ raised 2,000 years ago? And then more importantly, especially if you are a Christian or a professing Christian, you know, what does somebody look like to send the kingdom of God? A moralist? Uh, a nominal person? A person that goes to church on Sunday morning? A person that believes Reformed theology, but they, it's, it's no more part of their life than a man in the moon? That's exactly what Jesus Christ is trying to get to in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you think the Ten Commandments are bad? I'm going to come up on this mountain, and you can come up here. Unlike the Ten Commandments, where you can't. I'm here now, and when He comes, He makes it even more piercing. Because He begins to get behind the law, and He gets to the heart. And He gets to the heart of everybody. And if you're halfway, somewhat alive this morning, the purpose of this text is to pierce your heart. Uh, Jesus, uh, in the Lord's Prayer, is basically saying this. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish. I mean, the Jews said, well, we're circumcised. We're Jews. We're, you know, we're bloodline. And uh, God's in the business of forgiving Jews. And, of course, Paul later says that a true Jew is one who's not circumcised in their flesh, but they're circumcised in their heart. And you look back through the Old Testament, wasn't it amazing how few Jews you saw circumcised of heart? He had David, but hey, he was a messed up sinner, but he knew he was, and he looked to Christ by faith. And so you see this whole horde of, of people who say, well, the temple of the Lord, and the temple of the Lord, and they go through all these rituals, but their hearts are not circumcised. Is that any different than people who are baptized in the church? I don't care whether you believe in believer's baptism or infant baptism. The real issue that Jesus is trying to get at is do you call God your Father? Do you trust Him as your Father in heaven? And so where He comes to now in our text is if you believe that He's your Father, He's adopted you, He's called you, and that's what it means to be a Christian. You need to understand that being a Christian is not baptism. It's not right thinking. It is God calling you by His Spirit and placing the work of Christ upon you, uniting you to Christ, and your eyes are open. And you've entered into the kingdom of God. And one of the great signs that you've entered into the kingdom of God is your unbelief in that sometimes. Right? You understand what I'm saying? So, so he has to get it. The, he, he, basically, Jesus is saying this. If God has adopted you, if he is your father, will he not provide for you in the everyday things? Think about it. Oh, I believe that he's going to take oh Hal Farnsworth when he's dead and all his flesh is rotted and Jesus comes back a thousand years from now. He's going to know where my body is and he's going to raise all my bones. 
Well, I believe that. You believe that? If you say you're a Christian, you believe that. How about do you believe in, that God will take care of you and your daily needs? Now, this is what our text uh, is getting at. Now, a lot of people are pretty cynical about this. I've talked to people, I know I've mentioned this before, and they'll say to me, well, well what about those people in uh, Iraq right now? What about the Christians in Syria? They're getting slaughtered right now. They're starving to death. They've lost everything they have. Where does this verse relate? Well, the answer to that is uh, they've prayed those first three petitions. And if you get to those first three and God decides that you're not going to get to four, you know what? You're a martyr. And you do everything for His glory. And you're not bitter and angry at God because you didn't get the job you wanted or you didn't get the boyfriend or the girlfriend you wanted. Your daily bread is sufficient. And so what I want us to see this morning is that if we are to trust in Him uh, who gives us our daily bread, then we're not to trust uh, in the bread itself, right? Well, what do you trust in? I mean, this is real brass tacks. I mean, it always is when it, when, when it comes uh, to money. What are we putting our faith in? You know, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11, when he talks about the... The, 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 the true Christian is one who lives uh, by faith. He says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. You, do you understand what he's saying there? It's what it really means to know Christ, to grow in Christ, is you become more like a child, and the eye of faith starts going on. Uh, and we're, it'll talk about giving light to your eyes, uh, the, the eye of faith. And, and then it becomes the reality of what you don't see becomes more real than what you do see. Does that make sense? That becomes more real. And so what you're seeing around you, everybody in this room, they're going to be gone. Everybody's going to be gone one day. And all the stuff that you trust in, whether it's your daddy or your mama, or whether it's your uncle, or whether it's your bank account, going to be gone. And so Jesus, because He loves His disciples, and because He, he loves us, He wants to teach us uh, about, about money and trust and looking to the Father. So there are three things. And the first thing He wants to teach us is where we're to invest our daily bread. You're asking for daily bread. And to a certain extent, if you go, well, I'm not worried about daily bread. I've got a 401k and I've got about two or three million dollars in it. Well, you're a rare person. But then the question is, do you worry about what the stock market's going to do? Am I going to be able to live off this? And all this crazy stuff is there. Notice what he says in verse 19. I do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now here's what we have here. We have Jesus, think about it. He's given you some great financial advice. That's what he's doing. He's basically saying, hey, don't lay up for yourselves treasures here, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Okay, and if you're starting to go, okay, here we go. He's going to start talking about heaven and the kingdom of God and here and there and the by and by. And man, I just got to make it this week. Well, he's addressing you. 
But think about it this way. Think about it this way for, for a moment. Uh, doesn't it make sense uh, that if what he is saying is true, that everything that you invest in this life, you're going to give to somebody else, even if you die with everything? Your bank account, what are you going to do with it? You're going to give it to a son who's going to blow it all? Or maybe two sons, you go, well, no, they're great sons, but what about their grandsons or their great-grandsons? And all I care about is the stuff. Uh, Jesus says uh, that uh, moss destroys stuff here. Uh, you're, you're a grandmother, and you want to give your, uh, your wedding dress uh, to your granddaughter. And then you go to the attic, and you pull it out, and it's got moth holes all in it. And it's no good. You can't wear it. Uh, rust, oxidation of, the, uh, of your automobiles. Jesus says another reason that you need to invest in the, in the world to come is because there are no thieves there. Have you all heard of identity thieves? Some of you all have been hammered by them. And I, I do LifeLock, by the way. You can get, do LifeLock for about $9 a piece. And you know why I want to do that is because there's somebody fishing around to take my stuff. And guess what? It has happened to a lot of people. And you know what Jesus says? Why do you do that? So if you start thinking about it just from a real tangible standpoint, let's just say you get $100 a week. How much of that money do you invest in heaven? I mean, what is your investment? What is your portfolio right now? And you, say, back, by the way, if you're a college student in the back and you're going, this doesn't relate to me. Hey, when I gave my kids money, I expected them, whether they did it or not, that's between them and God. I expected them to tithe off that. Not their money. Uh, you know, you say, well, it doesn't relate to me. And you go out and you spend uh, $15 on a latte and a, you know, a, a honey bun uh, up here at the... Yeah, that place that steals all your money up there, uh, Starbucks. <laughs> I mean, what do you invest in? I remember one time uh, my daughter, when she was in college, she said, Dad, I'm having struggle with my budget. I said, let's go get a cup of coffee. So she gets a latte and this, that, and the other, and it's like 5 or $6, and I get the small one for like a dollar. And so I explained to her exactly how many times more cups of coffee I could get, you see. But, but that's another story. I'm sorry. <laughs> But does it, hey, let me say, from a logical standpoint, if you're a Christian, does it make sense you should invest in the kingdom of God? It's a serious issue. Because you see, it has something to do with whether you're actually understanding the gospel. And whether you believe that God cares enough, not only about your soul, but hey, if I give that money, will, will I have enough left? Anybody ever dealt with that? Now, <clears throat> so that makes sense, but so why don't we do that? So why don't we invest more? And by the way, the investment would be like downtown ministries, downtown academy, for the poor, for the needy. To give your money for the poor and the needy. I, I can't tell you how frustrating it is to go to Africa, and man, there are people that are ministering on $30 a month. Right? Y'all just got back from Africa. And to think how much we could do but we're not investing. So, so why do we do this? Well, have you ever heard the old saying, uh, follow the money? Follow the money. Uh, <clears throat> and where you follow the money, you'll find, uh, you'll find scandal most of the time. Scandalous. 
Uh, I don't trust. I don't trust a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent if they got billions of dollars. We need to pray for them. I'm not saying don't. You know. But, but you understand where there's money, there's always corruption. So I don't know what to believe. When somebody says, well, we have this, uh, we have this report. And you skew the data. You know why you skew it? Because you're going to make a couple of hundred thousand dollars off of it. Or do we think that we as human beings are pure as the driven snow? And that people really care about the things that I won't say lest you think I'm X, Y, or Z. Okay, But you get the drift. Follow the money. And you'll, fi- you'll find the scandal. Well, when you follow the money, notice what it says in verse 21. And I want you to look at it. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Follow the money. Well, it doesn't go, it doesn't go back to a heart that gives money. Well, what does it go to? Where's your money go to? Well, then there's the scandal. You know, it's funny, people don't like to talk about this. And by the way, if you're visiting today, I, I, I hardly, my congregation to tell you, rarely do I do like stewardship Sundays and all that. But I just started thinking about daily bread. Well, that, that's, that's the next thing in my text. And there it is below it. And I'm thinking, well, this is the problem that we have is that God gives to us everything and we won't give back to him what is rightfully his. You know why? Because we don't think he's good. You, you don't think God cares for you. And by the way, if you're already going, man, I feel terrible. I, I wish he'd hurry up and get the sermon over. Listen, I got good news at the end. Because he's going to love you anyway. But, do, but do, do you want to be enslaved to your heart that wants all this stuff that doesn't matter? Or would you like to be free from it? Well, why does Jesus uh, point, you know, it's interesting. He says, be careful. He's not talking about, uh, the sin that he's talking about here, let me tell you, he's not talking about purient sin like pornography or sexual immorality or adultery or something to that effect. He is dealing with money, your treasure, your money. Now, why does he do that? Well, there are two reasons that he does it. I think uh, one is because uh, we just don't think we have a problem with that. Well, all those greedy people out there, I mean, I might have a problem with this and that and the other, but I don't have a problem with uh, my money. I'm not a greedy person. And and so, basically, uh, we're blinded to it. Uh, Materialism has blinded us uh, to it. Uh, But the other reason that he, he addresses this is because the propensity to accumulate. By the way, the word treasure is therizo. And it's the same word we get thesaurus from. Y'all ever met, had a thesaurus? If you're an English major, you do. And what do you do with your thesaurus? It's got all this stuff, and you keep piling stuff in there. This word can mean this and that and the other. And so it's the same idea, that you just keep storing up stuff. Do you know that 70% of Americans cannot get their car in their garage? <laughs> I got mine in yesterday. I made sure I cleaned them. No. You know, we have the stuff. You have stuff in your attic, stuff here and stuff there. I mean, I do. I have stuff that it's like, well, maybe one of these days. And that has been sitting in my basement for 15 years and nobody gets to use it. So I'm guilty. Stuff. Stuff. 
where moths come in and, you know, the water's damaged and there's this and that and the other. But let me tell you why Jesus is concerned about you and your money. Because, you see, one of the seven deadly sins is greed and what they call avarice. Let me tell you what Voltaire, who is no Christian, let me tell you what he says about the greedy man. Men hate the individual whom they call uh, greedy, covetous, only because nothing can be gained from him. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? There's nothing to be gained. Why? Because he doesn't give anything. Uh, Martin Luther says this, Greed is a sin directly against one's neighbor, since one man cannot overabound in external riches without another man's lacking them. It is a sin against God, just as all mortal sins, inasmuch as a man condemns the things eternal for the sake of the things that are here. You younger people know who Richard Pryor is. He, he was the Chris Rock of 1970s, okay, or the... I don't know who the comedian is now, but y'all remember Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor says this, just practical application, and I got uh, to move forward. He said, there was a time in my life when I thought I had everything, millions of dollars, mansions, cars, nice clothes, beautiful women, and other materialistic things that you, things that you can, can imagine. But now I struggle for peace. All the stuff. Now, does this mean you can't be wealthy? No, I'm thankful for people who are wealthy. The scripture says, uh, to those who are rich, make sure you give to the poor. I mean, I had a guy write an $80,000 check that I didn't even know to come start. He's uh, a 38-year-old guy back in, uh, when I was raising money to come here. That was awesome. Hey, you hadn't sent me a newsletter. Well, I don't know you that well. Well, send me a newsletter. Send him a newsletter. About five days later, it's $80,000. Somebody said, hey, a guy named so-and-so gave you $80,000. So, so I'm thankful. But, but you see, I, that's where his heart was. And because this man, this man had a heart to see the kingdom of God come to Athens, Georgia, man, there's all kind of stuff that's happening. But it's just, where's, where's your treasure, you say? Okay, so Jesus tells us to, to invest in heaven. Um, by the way, if you invest well in this life, you probably have a lot more money to give to heaven, right? Does that make sense? But anyhow, the temptation, secondly, the temptation to trust in our daily bread rather than the Father who provides it. He says, you're going to be tempted to do that. Now, where does he say that? Verse 22, the eye of the lamp is the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? darkness. No one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one or love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God uh, and mammon. Now listen, Jesus is pretty black and white. All the time. All the time. It's just always asking what do you believe about me? And uh, we certainly know what he believed about us. I mean we know that he was committed. <clears throat> and so, but he gives this illustration to explain to us the problem. And the problem he says, is the eye of faith. And the, the, the illustration that he gives is if your eye is good, then your whole body, everything, uh, will be filled with light and you'll know exactly what to do and where to go. But if your eye is bad or if you were blind, 
And if you don't, if the eye is bad, then you see nothing. And so what is he saying here? He's saying that materialism blinds us. Uh, our love uh, for this world. You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> I, often you people have come to me and you talk about your sin, and I want you to. You come, you know, you, it might be sexual immorality or pornography or, or, um, or, or gossip. I, I'm not sure all the sins that, you know, I hear them. But, you know, I heard somebody else say this as a pastor. I, I don't think I've ever had one person come to me and say, you know, would you pray for me? I really struggle with greed. I'm a greedy person. Would you pray for me? Now, why would somebody uh, not do that? Well, number one, I think that would be one of the most embarrassing things. I'd, I'd much rather tell somebody some other sins and go, yep, I'm a selfish person and I don't want to give anything to anybody. Right? It's embarrassing. I think y'all look at your checkbook and if you're not writing checks for the kingdom of God, you should be a little bit embarrassed by that. Uh, I don't know who gives. I, I don't. I don't go check that out. But it would be hard for the person taking up the checks to know. But, uh, but the other reason is, <clears throat> is uh, because you just don't think it's a problem. You hang out with your friends. Your friend. Hey, we're all mostly educated people here. You know who you hang out with? Middle to upper middle class people. So you know what you're, so you don't even think. Sit down and think about, well, can I cut back? Can I cut back on that and give some more money to ABU, African Bible University? Can I do this? Can I do that? <clears throat> Just a couple other things here. I, you know, uh, if y'all watch the show Hoarding, uh, again, uh, this, this is how we don't see things. Yeah, have you ever watched the show Hoarding? Uh, well, I have. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, so I was, I, but I was listening to the guy on the radio, like uh, This American Life, I can't remember what it is. But the guy that started the show, he didn't have a job. Uh, he was a college-educated guy, and he didn't want to go on welfare. He didn't want somebody to take care of him. So he just started cleaning out people's garages. That's what he did. And then all of a sudden, he started realizing how weird it got. Uh, and, that, and now what we're discovering is that it's just a new area of psychology. Uh, it's not OCD. They thought it was OCD. No, and, and the thing that he said... Uh, and psychologists say the reason they hoard is two reasons. Uh, they they want to keep stuff that they might need in the future. I might need this bottle cap. <laughs> or they don't want to lose their memories because they live in the past and not the future. And everything for us is future. I'll give it away. I'll give my stuff away. I'll give my money away. Why? Because my future. Pretty awesome, isn't it? So, <clears throat> somebody said this. I read an article on this. Said though we though we don't have the data comparing hoarding across cultures, and cl- uh, clinicians have seen cases of hoarding in just about every country. Uh, Frost, the author, says suspects that the the disorder is more widespread in the Western world. There is no question that the continuous acquisition of stuff is the backbone of American culture. More stuff. According to Sandra Stark at the Mental Health Association of San Francisco, one in ten Americans has a storage unit. More than 20 years after the artist's death, uh, uh, Matt uh, Wojohn, the the archivist at the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh, has made it through 19 of the artist's 610 time capsules in 20 years. 19 of the 610 
And there were things uh, in, in each one of these boxes that ranged from uh, airline utensils to restaurant bills, chubby checkered records, and a single mummified foot from ancient Egypt. You know who else did that? You know who else did that? Children of Israel. Here's God providing for them in the wilderness, right? And what do they do? They gather more. And it turned into a rot and a stench. Man, fresh man every day. Every day, God is... Let me ask you, do y'all believe that God Almighty is a sovereign triune God? And he's involved in every detail of your life. And you might be going... you saying, you have no idea what I'm going through. Oh, but he does. But he knows what you need. So, what's the last thing? Well, the last thing is, uh, what is the cure? Don't you want a cure for all this stuff? I mean, I'm, I'm laying out the diagnostics. Well, the cure is really verses 25 through 34. But do you notice here, there is a therefore. And the therefore means it comes after what went right above. And Jesus is very clear, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot serve two masters. You're either born of the Holy Spirit and God is your desire. And so you say those first three petitions. Your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then after that, if nothing else happens, you know what? You submit to it. So he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body than clothing? And so he gives two examples. He said, you need to eat, go look at the sparrows, the birds of the air. God feeds them. They don't even work. And he says, uh, look at the, the clothes. You're worried about your clothes. Well, that's what the pagans want. But what about Solomon? All his glory does not compare to the glory of these lilies of the field or the daisies that are here today and they're thrown in the oven tomorrow. It's Jesus telling him this. And then he says, are you not much more precious than they? Isn't that awesome? He cares for you. And then he'll meet your need. Don't be anxious. Your Father in heaven cares for you. You know what I love about Jesus? He, he, he is, I tell you, give me a doctor, give me a doctor who tells me exactly what I got going on and gives me the bad news, but he's capable. Versus the doctor who doesn't want to give me the bad news. Uh, and so he gives me the wrong medication. Jesus not only says it like it is, but he gives you the cure. Now, you know what the real cure is? When he says, uh, does your Father in heaven not care uh, more about you? Here, here's the only way I know. Is the Father in heaven allowed his Son to come into this world. And he, according to 2 Corinthians 8, uh, though uh, for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. He gave up everything. You know why? Because if you follow his heart, if you follow the money trail to him, there is no money trail to, to, to his heart. You know, it, it, you, you are to his heart. And we find all this stuff we can't do without our children. Don't take my children. Don't take my money. Don't take this. Don't take my ministry. And, and you find out where your treasure is. But you see, Jesus, what he could not do without are those that the Father has given him.
You believe that? Then I'm going to tell you what, you will be a generous person. And you'll be a gracious person. But if you don't see Christ dying naked on a cross for you, for you, not, not, not for us, those people out there, but for you, you'll never be changed. You'll never be gracious and you'll never have the eye of faith that graciously gives. And you might say, well, I certainly failed in this area. Man, I have failed in this area. Then I'll say to you, God is gracious. He died for unbelief. He died for not giving. He died for not living the Christian life the way we should because he did. He gave. He gave everything. And you can come to him and rest in what he has accomplished for you. And by the way, if, if, again, if this, if this doesn't affect you, if you go, yep, okay, another good sermon, but I'm not giving anything this week. You know what Jesus says? You're blind. And the truth is not in you. If you want to talk to me about this, you say, well, I really have not given any money in X amount of years. I haven't given. Would you come see me so we can talk about that sin and pray about that? Let's pray together.